for a mental asylum. If you're not on board with this, it's going to drive you nuts. Jackpot, baby! And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we kick off the summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. as we are brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town, undisputed. And they don't buy that title. They don't go around and buy. You know, the people in town, wink, wink, that like to buy titles. I'm the greatest attorney of all time. How much does that cost to get that ad in there and all that crap? No, none of that here. PTs, best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2 a.m. It was give dad a beer Father's Day and send him over to happy hour, which was a tremendous success. And a lot of people who are listening go to lunch. I go to brunch at the SG bar right at the top of 215 Inflammation. Mingo PTs fuels the monologue again. Best of Vegas voted best happy hour. That's a lock from here to the end of time. 64 plus locations. Exciting. I got my son in studio today. He's a junior at Oklahoma doing a bunch of sports internships. He's sitting in with me. He helped put out the tweet, the pre show tweet. Now, while y'all following me, my son reminds me, Dad, you gotta mention your Twitter. I said, Why, man? I don't want to slide into people's DMs. I don't want these angry guys coming at me. He says, No, get your Twitter out there at JT the Brick and jump on this to open up the show and it was his idea and i think it's a damn good one my son came up with a great great idea here now i've never been a big fan of poll questions but the industry's kind of going there and every once in a while as bobby's laughing you know in the summertime i cannot be hardcore jt because in my real life i'm just a quiet man named john i went and saw lyle lovin and chris isaacs at virgin hotels the other night i went and saw the great nikki scalera perform at the italian american club but when i get on the radio i tend to morph into my alter ego and i'm too hardcore too intense and that's okay. And during the season, every day for me is do or die. Every game, every incompletion, every win-loss is do or die for me when the Raiders season starts. And quite frankly, I don't want to hear that from me in the summer. I don't think you do either. You know, you don't want to have me go crazy. You don't want to have me go crazy every day. So I'm not a big low-hanging fruit guy. There's no Raider news today. Sorry. There's nothing. Nothing happened today. So I can do Devontae Adams or I could do, uh, I really am going to get into the Josh McDaniels, not in the top six play callers. I might pop. Something might pop. My eardrum might pop by the end of that. But I want to open up the show with, on Twitter, at JT the Brick, what's the most important Raiders game of 2022? Now, it's got to be important. And we want you to reply to the tweet and call in. At 702-365-9200. I got Bryce Butler, former Raider receiver, coming up at the bottom of the hour. Great guy. Looking forward to this interview. But what is the most important Raiders game of this upcoming season? And as my son and I were driving over here going through the games, what jumped out at me easily is at Kansas City. At Kansas City is the game because it's the one game that the Raiders usually get shellacked other than a couple of years ago, and that game gets out of control. The good news is there's no more Tyreek Hill who's going to get a gold jacket because of what he did against the Silver and Black. Literally, he's that good of a player, and he has dominated the Raiders over the years. He is no longer there. So that's got to help the Raiders at some point. It must help because it's going to change the misdirection. Andy Reid is still going to have the misdirection playbook. It's a playbook he has only for the Raiders. And he pulls it out of the bottom drawer whenever he plays the Raiders. And he runs the same freaking plays 
Every time they play the Raiders, it's called misdirection. You go this way. We're going to sweep back with the guy this way, and there's going to be no Raider anywhere to cover him, and you're off to the races. Every bleeping time, I'm sick of it. But now there's Patrick Graham. And there's a new defensive play caller in here, and they got some different players here, and they know the playbook of Kansas City. So Kansas City, is that the most important game on the road? But then my son said, Dad, week one at the Chargers. It's a massive game. Why is it a massive game? Because you can put the Chargers 0-1 in their building in a Raider home game week one and start the momentum off of the year. Remember, the love fest that is going on for the Chargers has never been this high, even going back to Dan Fouts, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Junior Seau. You know the difference? Those teams did something. Those Charger teams did something. Stan Humphreys brought them to the Super Bowl. Okay, they, they had some good Charger teams back in the day. This Charger team has done squat, and everybody's anointing them the next coming of a dynasty. So we put that in there as one of the tougher games. Then my choice for the most difficult game, without doubt, my choice, Raiders at Rams week 14. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Week 14, that is going to be make-or-break territory. Do you see what these scoundrels at the league offices have done to the Raiders with the schedule? They put on the back end of the schedule, week 14 is at the back end, at Rams, Patriots in town, <laughs> Niners in town. And then the last game that I put up here, Niners at Raiders. As I put up there, Niners at Raiders, that's the last game of the year. You can jump in on that and uh, get it going there. Niners at Raiders, uh, that would be the game that I think is very important because it's make or break. Make or break game. So the Raiders need to get off to a good start this year. So the back end of the schedule is relevant. You're going to hear me talk about that all the time. I expect the Raiders to win double-digit games. They're a better team than last year, but the schedule is more difficult. And they have Russell Wilson, no longer a bum for Denver at a quarterback. Drew Locke, whoever the hell they threw out there. So Russell Wilson is looking to sweep the Raiders, let alone get a split. And the Raiders won the last four games against them and fired Vic Fangio. So that's not going to be a walk in the park. The Chargers are good. I ripped the Chargers, but they're very good. The Niners, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback of the Niners at that point at the end of the season. You know, Trey Lance, if you look at the end of the year and what he's going to look like, I don't know. He'll either be peaking and looking like the next Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, or the Niners are going to be out of it and all hell's going to be breaking loose. But for me, the toughest game of the year is at the World Champs, at the Rams, even though Raider fans are going to have an opportunity to get those tickets and buy those tickets. So that's up there at JT The Brick. Do me a favor, vote on that. And if you can, retweet it and get it out to the Raider Nation. What is the most important Raiders game of the upcoming season? And I'd like to hear your phone call on that, too, at 702-365-9200. Because it's a big picture on the schedule and what the game, what games are most important for you. I'll be traveling with the team this year again on the road for a couple of games. Because I'll be anchoring the pre- and post-game show. And the games that I'm already going to is at Nashville, at the Titans. And at New Orleans, taking on the Saints, and we'll have a bunch of events surrounding that, I'm hoping. That'll be really cool for everybody there. So that's what we're starting off the show with. Jump on board. Let us know what you think. Bryce Butler at the bottom of the hour. We'll wrap up the NBA season with Olden Polonese before he comes out here for NBA Summer League. And Mark Anderson, the great journalist here in Vegas. He's going to join us at 1245 to go around what's happening in Vegas as of late. So that's what I'm doing today. Again, you can look at it one of two ways this summer. You can either participate 
or watch us all freaking grind, right? There's one of two things you can do. You can participate and get involved in some of these topics. You can go on vacation. You can listen to us on the Raiders mobile app, and you can participate in the show if you got something to say. And if it's another sport, I'd love to hear from that as I also lead with the U.S. Open. U.S. Open golf yesterday. Man, that was tough. I, I had Will Zalatoris to win. I said that to you on Wednesday on the show, and I thought he was going to win. He was right where he needed to be on the back nine on a Sunday at a major championship at the country club outside of Boston, and he couldn't get it done. Fitzpatrick was incredible down the stretch as everybody else was going backwards. He was going up the leaderboard. Here's the birdie on 15. For the birdie, rolling it up, Matt Fitzpatrick to the edge, and he makes it. He makes it. The Englishman on top of the U.S. Open with three holes remaining. Yeah, that was really the move that he made there, and you heard the Englishman. So I don't root for foreigners ever on American soil. I don't care. You're not going to arrest me for that one. I was rooting against this kid. And on the 18th hole, he hit his drive into a bunker, and Zalatoris blew his drive by him. I'm saying to myself, this guy put the ball in the bunker. He's about 160 yards out. He's going to bogey this hole. And if Zalatoris birdies, he's going to win the tournament. And it was shaping up to be that until Fitzpatrick hit one of the great shots I've seen in the clutch out of the bunker to about 20 feet and then set up a two-putt for the win. Will Zalatoris, a left arm lock putter, modified saw grip. This has to go down from 15 feet. The putter is back. The ball creeping up to the hole, turning to the right. Now at the edge, and it slides by. That means Matt Fitzpatrick is the winner of the 122nd U.S. Open, the English flag once again flies on USGA soil. Hear that? They said that. The English flag, the, the Euros hate our guts, man. They want to beat us every time. And every once in a while, they do. And that's on PGA Tour Radio. So Fitzpatrick wins the major. Good for him. He deserved it. He won that major by making that shot out of the bunker and two-putting and got it done. Uh, afterwards, Fitz talked about getting it done. This is his first ever win. First ever tournament win, and it's a major. What was the key to getting it done under this pressure today? Um, i, I got to give myself credit. I had so much patience today. Um, I, I felt like if I could just stick in, and I said to Billy, funnily enough, I said, if I can hit 18 greens today, I'd, I'd like to think I've got a good chance, and uh, near as damn it did it, but um, I just played so solid all day and, and um, you know, got a couple of nice breaks there on 15 and, and took advantage of it, and, uh, and that's, that's what it took in the end. He seems generally like a pretty nice guy, and he ends up getting it done, and he wins, and good for him as we open up the show. So as we open up the show, you had the U.S. Open. I think it would have been a lot better if the U.S. Open had Zalatoris win or you know, someone with a bigger name, but sometimes that happens, other times it doesn't, and that's what I'm talking about today. If you're a golf fan, what would you think of the course? What would you think of the tournament? Did you watch it? Uh, did you lose interest on Sunday? What do you think of the U.S. Open, a non-American one, 702-365-9200? There's a ton of baseball news. Yankees finally lost. They had a big winning streak going. Uh, Manny Machado. Uh, rolled his ankle bad. I thought I thought he broke it when I saw it in real time. So he's going to be okay, hopefully. But Mike Trout went on fire. He went up to Seattle and hit five home runs in the series. Pitch number nine. Trout's ready for the heater this time. High and deep to right center field, and he did it again. One too many fastballs. Cha cha, gotcha. And Trout has homered in Seattle again. Angels Radio, so they get it done, and there's a lot of baseball news to get to. Mary Kay Cabot's going to join us at 1.30. She's a big-time guest. 
Huge big time guest. You've heard her here on the channel on other shows. I think Vinny Q have had her on. I have her on for this show and my show on Sirius XM. She covers the Browns. And the Browns are the biggest story in the NFL. The biggest story in the NFL by far is the fate of what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson. And will Deshaun Watson have an opportunity to play this year? Or will the NFL err on the side of caution and suspend him for a full season? And I think that's what's going to happen. I'm leaning towards that, that he could be gone for a full season. And if that's the case, the Browns go into the tank. They don't have Baker Mayfield. Uh, Baker Mayfield should get a job pretty quickly here. I don't know where, where he's going to end up, but I like Baker Mayfield. And it seems at this point that teams are looking to split the $18 million for Baker Mayfield. I think it's chump change. I would pay Baker Mayfield all the money and bring him to Seattle, Houston, or especially Carolina. But I don't know why everybody's nickel and dime in Baker Mayfield. He's not making $45 million a year. Not making $35 million a year. The price is set. It's the last year of his deal, and you can get him for that price. And then if he plays well, sign him long-term at a local discount. So I cannot believe that there are more teams not looking to get him. And I mentioned the three. I think Seattle's the best fit for him. And whoever gets Baker Mayfield, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. But going back to what happened with Deshaun Watson with all these masseuses and everything that happened in Houston along the way and in other places where he would hire masseuses and then during the process clearly get rude and crude with them. That's what 24-plus women have said. I don't think they're all lying. I don't know if any of them are lying, but he's in big-time trouble. So the commissioner has to make a decision very quickly here, or all we're going to see on SportsCenter, not NFL Network, because NFL Network's owned by the NFL. So they're not going to do you know, Q&As on Deshaun Watson or anything to embarrass the league. But ESPN and Fox will talk about this all summer long, every day. They'll debate this now because we're officially in the dead zone. There's really not a lot happening in sports at this time in June into July. And what they're going to do is pound away at the brand, which is the Cleveland Browns. The attorney for the Washington Commanders, owner Daniel Snyder, has reiterated earlier today that Snyder will not testify before Congress coming up here on June 22nd, despite a request from the committee to reconsider. Karen Patton Seymour declined the invitation from the House Oversight Committee investigating the commander's alleged toxic workplace culture, saying that Snyder had a longstanding commander's-related business conflict and is out of the country at the end of June. Seymour has also requested copies of documents that committee members intend to use in the questioning. Now, this is a big deal because Roger Goodell is expected to talk on January 22nd in front of this congressional hearing. So if the commissioner can go, why can't the owner of one of the teams go? As I've said, the wolves are at the door. Ownership, there are several owners in the NFL and other people around the league that want Daniel Snyder out. This is the first process. Him declining an invitation from Congress, proving that he's hiding something. This has a direct effect on the Raider organization because this is the reason why John Gruden uh, got removed and had to resign because of the emails that surfaced off the Washington Redskins computer and the private computer or how they were ended up able to get Bruce Allen's 655,000 emails. 650,000 emails from one person. One guy. Imagine how many other emails are out there talking about Daniel Snyder amongst ownership. The league does not want to be deposed on this issue with John Gruden. John Gruden, I don't believe, wants a settlement. I think John Gruden wants to clear his name. How would he be able to clear his name? 
by the NFL admitting that they overreached on John Gruden. Not that John Gruden's emails were right. I, I don't support anything in those emails. We've said that a million times. But the fact is those are private emails that shouldn't have surfaced because he wasn't an employee of the NFL. He was an employer as a broadcaster at ESPN at the time. It threw the Raiders into upheaval because they lost their coach who had a 10-year deal, went with an interim coach in Rich Basaccio who actually helped lead the team to the playoffs. So this is not going away, and I think Congress is right on top of this. All over it, and as I've always said, if you've been listening to me for 20 minutes or 20 years, I love when Congress gets involved in sports. I love it. I don't like it. I love it because they have... They're screwing up so much in this country to begin with. Inflation, gas prices, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about either side of the aisle. Both presidents, everything's been a train wreck for the last five, six, seven years. This country is a train wreck politically. So on top of that, I think congressmen and women have time to talk football, especially when people are lying to them. And that's the only way to clear this stuff up is get them to the Rayburn building on Congressional Hill and have people testify with cameras in their face in front of congressmen and women because if they lie, they're going down. And Daniel Snyder wants nothing to do with that. I can promise you there. And then finally, one more topic to get you going. I guess what's the greatest, toughest Raider game this year isn't a good enough topic, Bobby. So I'll get into another one here. As everybody's been talking about on the channel, a pro football focus, and they're really good. They're really good. Pro football focus is very thorough. They break down every play. They look at the footwork. They look at the blocking. They look at every play under a microscope. They put out a poll of the best offensive play callers in the NFL. And Josh McDaniels wasn't on the list of the top six. So I say to myself, what is that? What is that? What does that mean? Well, what it means is it's anti-Raider propaganda. It is. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you get it. It's anti-Raiders because having Andy Reid at number one, I don't have a problem with. Having Kyle Shanahan at number four is good. Why is Sean McVay behind Kyle Shanahan? I don't know that. He's at five. Matt LaFleur is at six. But at number two is Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore of the Cowboys is the number two play caller, according to Pro Football Focus. And I'm saying to myself, how bleeping disrespectful is that to Josh McDaniels? The only man ever in the 100-year history of this league dating back to leather helmets that has won six Super Bowls as an offensive coordinator and or a play caller slash quarterback coach, and he's not on the list. How is that possible unless you would agree with me that this is anti-Raider propaganda at the highest level? Maybe we should do that this year. And save this piece, Bobby. Save this quote because maybe we need at the end of the year to have a Mount Rushmore of Raider anti-propaganda. Like, what's the worst things they say about the Raiders all year? Or at least in the preseason. Because we've got a ton of this. So I, I would say right here, this goes on my Mount Rushmore. That they don't think enough of Josh McDaniels, who won six Super Bowls, is a great play caller. And they think Kellen Moore is better. Yeah, who? Kellen Moore who didn't get a job offer to be a head coach, and Josh McDaniels is a head coach there. So I want to know what your opinion is on that. If you called into the morning show, you talked about it with Vinny or any of the other shows with Q, I didn't get a chance to hit on this. I think it's an important topic because I don't know Josh McDaniels well. I've interviewed him once. I don't think he cares about this. I don't think he cares about this at all. I think he cares about moving his family out here and getting him out here and settled and getting ready for the start of the season. But it is pure pure Raider 
anti-propaganda, man. This this franchise gets gets slapped around by the media so much. And then when they start winning, all of these frauds in the media call the Raiders. Can we please get Derek Carr on the show? Can we get Darren Waller on? Pretty please, pretty please. We'll do we'll do you fine after they trash this team all over the league. And again, I like pro football focus. Was this made for clickbait? My, uh, a lot of the algorithms are based on clickbait. You know, I got some clickbait up today. What's the toughest game? But I'm on the Raider flagship. So I think on the Raider flagship, you would be able to tell me what is the most important game of the year. Important game. A lot of people say, look at Bobby seeing if the phones work. I love that. Dialing in to see if the phones work. 702-365-9200 as we get off to the start and we get rolling here. And hit me up on Twitter. Give it a follow and vote on it on Twitter, at JT the Brick, as we open up the show here. Again, we'll talk to Olden Polonese a little bit later on in the show. And Bryce Butler is going to join us in a nice run with the Raiders. Good player. Caught some touchdowns for the Silver and Black. Was a great teammate. Uh, teammate of Derek Carr. We'll talk about his friendship and relationship with Derek Carr. He played with the Raiders from 2013 to 2015 in his career here. Also was a great track star in high school. And went to college at San Diego State. Not too far from here. So we are off to the races. Good to be back here on a Monday. Uh, we are brought to you by Virgin Hotels, our newest sponsor here, our newest partner. Uh, Saturday night, I saw Chris Isaac and Lyle Lovett over at the Virgin Super Theater, the former joint, which I love so much and had a great time there. The place was packed. All the restaurants, one steakhouse, olives. Uh, my buddies, the bartenders there. It was right, felt like the old days over at the Hard Rock, over at Virgin's. place was packed. A great concert, good crowds there. And part of the weekend. And this week, we kick off the summer of Cliff Branch at any point this summer. On a whim or prepare your phone call, I want Cliff content from you. I want to know when you met Cliff, what your favorite play was with him, what you feel about the Hall of Fame, and some of your best memories of Cliff Branch as we open up the show. That's all I got. That's the monologue. Why don't you jump in and participate in the show? We got a lot out there. We'll talk to a former Raider coming up, a great former big man in the NBA, 15 years for Olden Polonies. And Mark Anderson will go around Vegas and talk about everything from the Aces win to what UNLV football is going to do to the Raiders' schedule and all of that on a Monday in the summer. Nice to see it cool off a bit. God, I thought we were going to be sitting at 109 degrees every day from here on out. 86 degrees, 86 in Vegas today. God, can we get more of that? JT The Brick back here on Monday. Thanks for joining us on the flagship. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Boy, Derek's been a, you know, I don't know how everybody else rates him, you know. Um, so, I, you know, he's been a good player for a long time. You know, I've said that since I got here, um, and that's the truth. You know, he's, he's smart. He works really hard at it. He understands the game of football. Um, he's got good arm strength and accuracy. He's a good leader. Uh, it's tough. Doesn't miss a lot of games. Been durable. So, 
Um, there's a lot. There's a lot that Derek Carr, um, you know, does every day uh, to to give you a lot of confidence in, in what he can do with your team. So, um, you know, I don't know how everybody else rates him. I just know that I feel pretty good about the things that I'm seeing. He's he's having a good spring. He's working really hard. He's acclimating to some of the new guys. Um, he treats everybody the same, which I love. Um, you know, that's that's a good sign of a leader. You know, he's not just going to talk to the guys that are, you know. In the first huddle, he talks to everybody, you know, at every position, offense, defense, kickers, punters, you know. So, uh, been very impressed with him. That's Josh McDaniels on the leadership of Derek Carr. JT, back with you. Brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino, the official resort of the Raiders, where you get to go to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. We always talk to former Raiders on this team, and Bryce Butler is an excellent former Raider to talk to, and he's kind enough to join us on the flagship. Bryce, I hope you're doing well. Happy summer. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm currently in the PJ Tour Superstore looking at what I need for my golf. <laughs> you know, my golf round coming up soon. Well, was that because you watched the U.S. Open and you got the golf bug, or you've been playing golf for a while? Oh, I've been playing for a while. I actually was in Boston for the U.S. Open. It was freaking fantastic, so I had a good time there for sure. Really? Tell me about that. So you went all the way back there to the country club, and you know a couple of the short holes there and the blind spot holes that you were seeing there and the big putts, the legendary 17th hole where the United States won the Ryder Cup. What was it like walking that property and seeing it up close? Uh, it was it was like I had a chance to play it last year because I actually did a had a contract with the USGA, mm-hmm. and we were moving the trophy from San Diego all the way to Brookline. I ended up not going to that Brookline uh, location, uh, but it was fantastic, man. It was. It looked very hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looked very hard. I mean, some of those shots, like you said, like those parts of these, uh, in which like you can't even really see where your ball is going or where you're supposed to land the ball. I was like, wow, like. Yeah, hole number eight with that, like, crazy false front, like, turtle shell, like, the dudes are hitting the ball and it was rolling back. Crazy. So it looked very hard. Like, I'm glad I didn't have to go out there and try to compete. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's, 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 it awesome, sure. Yeah, it's amazing what the pros go through. Bryce Butler's our guest. Bryce, let's start off early in your high school years as not only being a standout player and receiver, but you were also a track star. And I talked to a lot of former football players and former Raiders, and they play in multiple sports. How did you balance at a young age track and field and football? Uh, well, at a young age, you don't have to balance anything because you're not working, right? Right. So... Uh, you know, when you're in high school and before that, I mean, all you're doing is just playing the sport when the season comes around. So, you know, playing basketball to playing football to running track, uh, you know, you're just going from season to season, right? Um, yeah, I went to Norcross High School in which we were a pretty big powerhouse in football and basketball. So it wasn't really until I was in 10th grade where I made the decision to say, okay, well, I don't really see myself playing basketball at the next level. Uh, I, I want to play football, so I kind of dropped basketball and just stuck to, you know, what helped me with football, which is which was track, you know, and football. So uh, just spent a lot of time just trying to work on my game in football because I always saw myself playing in the league. So uh, you know, track helped me get my speed down and helped me uh, catch bombs down the down in the future. Bryce Butler is our guest. So you go to USC, and a redshirt freshman year was a big one for you. 20 receptions, a couple of touchdowns, Pac-10, all freshman honors there, and you're there during the Pete Carroll era. Before he leaves, Lane Kiffin comes in, and then you're transferred to San Diego State. What 
What was the decision like at the end? Because you graduated, so you got your degree, yep. but you made that move there. Was Did that have to do with eligibility, Lane Kiffin, or wanting to get a better shot at San Diego State to get more touches? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was just about getting more touches. Um, when Kiffin, you know, when Carol left, um, you know, Carol was about who recruited me. So, mm-hmm. you know how it is with the NFL and college. You know, when you get a new coaching staff that comes in, you know, they want to bring their guys or they want to bring the recruited guys that they have. In the NFL, it's typically – uh, let's weed out the older players, so the younger, more impressionable players, like the you know second year guy, first year guy, third year guy, will listen to what we want, you know, to have going, you know, that we want to basically implement in our team, uh, instill those values in our team. So typically, you know, you get new coaches, um, brand new coaches in our organization, they shake it up a little bit, and you know they might cut a guy or train a guy who was a guy who, you know, had a lot. Uh, you know, had a lot of value on the team prior. Uh, so, yeah, that pretty much what it was for me when Kiffin came in. Uh, uh, Kiffin came and he brought some guys in. You get the emergence of Robert Woods and Marquise Lee and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I was like, I need to get up out of here and, you know, try to catch as many balls as possible, which was funny because I ended up going to San Diego State and we didn't throw the ball at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because I, I remember the game I went to to check them out. It was it was Fresno State versus San Diego State and my boy D C was playing at Fresno and they ran a similar offense to what we ran at USC and I was just like, No, nah, I don't think I want to be Fresno State because 'cause I'm trying to catch like a hundred passes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And San Diego State at the time was like running shoot. But the funny thing is when I ended up going to San Diego State, we had a coaching staff change and they brought in style offense. And Fresno State and Derek Carr turned into the road and shoot. So we went, ended up playing Derek and Devontae, who are now. And uh, they just went crazy. I think Derek did for like 650 yeah. yards. Like Devontae had like 200 yards receiving. And I had a decent game for our team standard, which was like four catches for like 50 yards and a touchdown. And I'm just sitting there like, I could have went to that school. <laughs> I could have been catching balls from Derek Carr right now. <laughs> Bryce, uh, yeah. yeah, interesting move. Bryce Butler is our guest. So you get to the Raiders before Derek, and you come in from 2013. You're drafted in the seventh round. Derek gets drafted the next year. What was that like? How'd you build chemistry with him quickly? And it looks like a great friendship on the field and a better one off the field. What was the relationship like with Derek Carr early? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it still is great. Derek's my guy. I've always been that way. Uh, I heard y'all. I heard Coach. Um, McDaniel's talking about, uh, you know, how he just treats everybody the same. And that's Derek. I mean, he's always been that way. He's never really been the, you know, you get certain players or even certain quarterbacks that only hang out with the guys who he's throwing to and stuff like that. But Derek is not that guy. Like, he'll hang out with the guy that probably never sees the field or in the street clothes all the time or the practice squad guy. Like, he's always been that way. So it makes him very likable, and it's not fake. You know, you can tell when some players are – you know, just trying to be a certain way to, you know, make people feel a certain way. And that's not Derek. Derek is himself day in and day out, 24-7. So it was great. I mean, obviously, the first couple years that I was there, it was not not, uh, pretty at all. Uh, The first year, we won four games. The second year, with Derek, we won three. Uh, But I would say that second year was, uh, I caught the most balls in my Mm -hmm. career. 
um, that season. I think I caught like 20 something balls that year with Derek. And we just had a good rapport, man. Like we spent a lot of time off the field together, um, you know, talking through plays and stuff like that, like where he wants me to be, uh, where I like to be in certain situations. So like when I was in the game, he would always seem to find me. So, um, you know, I wish, you know, I had more time to play with him. I thought, you know, towards the end of my career, uh, that I would have a chance to come back to the Raiders. But it didn't work out. So, um, you know, definitely rookie. Definitely. I've always been a big Derek Carr guy. Even when guys are saying, oh, we should get rid of him. And I, I will always talk people off the ledge, like, no. Like, you do not understand the value and the importance of this man, Derek Carr, on this team. And he's going to be there. He's going to be a lifer. And he's going to bring a Super Bowl to the Raiders. So, uh, nice. you know, he's, I, think, I think now people are starting to kind of see, like, yeah, like, Derek Carr is that guy. Like, he's always been there statistically, but for whatever reason, everybody still kind of doubted him. Um, but I think after last season, with, with everything that went down with the team, um, I think they're seeing Derek Carr for the true leader that he is and the gunslinger that he is. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him with a guy like Devontae, like a, with a full arsenal of, like, just ammo. Mm-hmm. Like, you got Renfro, you got Devontae. Um, I always... Uh, you got Waller, you got the running backs, you got KD, you got everybody. So I'm super excited to see, um, you know, what he does with all that talent because he hasn't really had talent like that, I would say, since like Cooper and Crab were there the first year. Absolutely. Bryce Butler, as we wrap it up. Bryce, as we get out of here, I want to ask you this offensive line isn't elite. But there are elite players. You got. You just mentioned all the players on this offense who are elite, and especially the running back room. And then you got a play caller in Josh McDaniels. This is not an elite offensive line. What do you think the Raiders need to do, or kind of change the playbook around to give Derek a little bit more time, or maybe move the pocket more so he can get Devontae and Hunter Renfro open? Because until he's got two or three Pro Bowlers up front on the offensive line. I mean, he's going to be running, and he's going to be trying to get the ball out early. Are you concerned about that? Well, that, yeah, it's definitely a tough conference or a tough division when you talk about pass rushing, right? Uh, I think with, if you look at New England Patriots over the years, uh, Tom Brady never really got hit. And the reason why is because the ball was coming out real early and mm-hmm. quick. So I think um, Coach McDaniels is obviously going to bring it as good as we need it to be. I'm sure Coach McDaniels is going to be talking about getting rid of the ball quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the similar offense at my at my end of my career with Miami when Coach Chad O'Shea came down there and we right. ran the New England system. And it's about getting the ball out early. You know, it's not about holding it, patting the ball. It's about making your piece not reason knowing where you want to go. Uh, you'll have room for on a ton of option routes, but it's about getting rid of the ball early. And I think all the receivers that he has, they can get open early. So I don't think he's going to have an issue with that. And then, you know, when you get the ball out early, um, it tires out the pass rush. And then you can get the ball, you know, down the field. Mm-hmm. You're running the ball well and stuff like that. So I think it'll be okay. I think it'll be totally fine. I think McDaniels, I think Derek, obviously, going into his, I think, ninth season now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, they understand that and they'll be able to, you know, make it do what it do is what we like to say. Awesome. Bryce, tell everybody what you're doing with your life now, man. A lot of Raider fans want to know what's going on. Oh yeah, I'm uh I'm doing a lot of media now, golf media and specifically um just doing the influencer life. Like I said, I was just at US Open, I was getting paid to basically shoot content to be there and have a YouTube video, you could a YouTube channel called Bryce Butler Lifestyle. 
um, in which right now it's just a lot of golf matches. I'm trying to get actually trying to get Derek and Devontae on an episode this summer. We talked about it. Um, but yeah, I'm just doing a lot of golf media and, um, you know, looking forward to watching my Raiders play some good football this year. Well, I hope we can uh, tee it up when you get out to Vegas. Thanks a lot for doing this, Bryce. Really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. You got it, Bryce. Yeah, got it. There he is, Bryce Butler. Appreciate him coming on. Interesting. He's an influencer in golf. Making a living now in the golf world, as we're talking about the wrap-up of the U.S. Open yesterday. He has a YouTube channel, which is Bryce Butler, and I have it right up here in front of me. He's got a bunch of videos. Man, it looks sharp. My son just brought it up for me here in studio. Looks outstanding. So go check out Bryce Butler on YouTube. That was brought to you by Resorts World. How honored am I to carry on the vision on the radio of what Scott Sabella has at that gorgeous property. Free parking. You come right in the free parking, right out to Doghouse Saloon. They won a whole bunch of awards. Their theater is incredible. I like going to Eight the Cigar Lounge. Zook Nightclub. We're brought to you by Resorts World. Ten in the shot clock, 19 in the game clock. Gray crosses over, kicks it to Hamby for the dagger. She's got it! She's got it! The Energizer drains a three! Ball is loose in the backcourt. Plumbs dives for it. It goes out of bounds. Aces Radio, our buddy T.C. Martin on the call. Nice job there. JT back with you, Raider Nation Radio. Monday, summertime radio as we're sitting here on June 20th coming off the U.S. Open. Mark Anderson, the great journalist from the Review Journal, joins us. And, Mark, a couple of topics I want to get to. Friday night I was at the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame event at the New Dollar Loan Center. Wow. They put on one hell of an event, another great class, and I think that's one of the most underrated events I go to every year. It really is. I mean, it's a great Hall of Fame. And, uh, this year's class seemed especially strong. Um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, sometimes I see Hall of Fame inductions, not just that one, but others. Um, I see there's a couple, like, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, it seems like they're stretching to add a number. Mm-hmm. I think everyone was strong on this one. Uh, everyone made an incredible commitment to, or, or contribution to this community and to sports and, yeah, in the, in the Dollar Loan Center, man, what a fantastic place to have it, too. Yeah, they did a great job. It was interesting. I was talking to DeMarco Murray, who played at Gorman and went on to play and have a great career and really strong career in the NFL as a running back there. And he was so humbled about his roots in Las Vegas and the start that he had in life here with his parents, his family, the hard work ethic that he got in Vegas as a kid that brought him tremendous success as a professional athlete. Yeah, he's always been that way. I remember when he got drafted at Gorman, I mm-hmm. I went to his hotel room that night to do a story on him, and he just had just you know the, his closest friends and family with him in his hotel room. wasn't a big you know wasn't a big deal. He didn't he didn't invite the media out. He mm-hmm. he was fine to talk to me outside his hotel door, but it was really he just really wanted to make about his family and friends, and and that's just the way he's always been. It's he's never uh, he's never tried to really promote himself and. Um, and you know, you, you got to admire someone like that who just really cares about getting the work done and, and now he's into coaching and, and, you know, I can see him doing well there too. Mark Anderson joins us from the review journal. We have him every other Monday, great addition to our broadcast. I want to talk a little bit uh, with you about the Oakland A's. 
and what the update here is in Vegas. I'm anti-Oakland A's coming to Vegas. I think they're a mess as a franchise. I think that Cavill's a carnival barker. I think ownership is awful. And they played their hand. And they played their hand like a Vegas poker game and got called on it, and they have nothing to show for it. They have nothing going on here at a secure level in Vegas, and they've run all their fans out in Oakland who don't want to be used as pawns. What update can you give us on this? Yeah, I just, I think, I think they're trying to. I may be wrong on this, but the way I read it is, I think they're trying to find a way to get to yes here and no in Oakland. Because even when they get something that goes their way in Oakland, some sort of vote goes their way, there's always a yes but to their statements. And so it just leads me to believe that they're they, they're looking to find a way to get it done here. I don't know that they will. Um, um, but I I also, if you, were, if you were to tell me that after the election, the public money suddenly going to appear, I wouldn't fall over either. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I. The more more this goes on, the more I think they're coming. Um, but you know, I it's it's really hard to say. I, I, I you still got to find a way to pay for it. How they're going to do it is that's the big question. But when when would they come? I mean, this season's done. It, they wouldn't come next year. How long would this process take? I'm not a believer in a dome stadium in Vegas. But let's say this is the perfect storm. They do get some public money. They're able to come here. The location is great for a new stadium. Then they got to build it. That's going to take a minimum of two years. What are we talking about? Because in the meantime, they're wearing out their fan base and their brand, and they don't have a lot of A's fans here. Last I, This is a great baseball town. I don't know many A's fans here. There are a lot of Raider fans. It wouldn't be like Oakland A's fans would be flying to Vegas. How would they sustain a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night and get thirty five to 40000 to come in here for a game? Yeah, I think my guess is what they would do is if they do decide to move here is they would play one more season in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And then probably share Las Vegas ballpark for a year with the Aviators. Right. Uh, and the Aviators, I think, would stay. I think you're seeing that trend now where the, the AAA team and the Major League team are, are essentially in the same market. So I think I could see the Aviators staying. Uh, you know, I think the stadium that they would look to build would be around the 30,000 seat uh, mark because mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. I think 3540, I think that's going to be really tough. Uh, obviously, the Yankees and Cubs coming to town, that's no problem selling those games, but. Uh, you get the Brewers here on a Wednesday night. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. good luck. Um, so, I, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be hard uh, in, in that regard. But, and I agree with you. There, there, the big advantage the Raiders had was there are already a lot of fans here of the team, mm-hmm. and there are fans in Southern California from the Raiders played there who are willing to make the drive here on a regular basis. Uh, I think that when it comes to the A's, I think most fans are most uh, baseball fans are fans of other teams. And so, like, if the Angels come to town, it would be basically an Angels home game. Uh, Dodgers yeah. come to town, same thing. Uh, I think what the A's have to hope is that, well, one thing I, th- I think they would need to spend if they really want to try to get fans on their side. But I think they're, if, if they'd have to look at more big, big picture, you know, you get fan- kids growing up going to games, becoming fans of the mm-hmm. team that way, and then their kids become fans, and it becomes more of a generational yeah, thing. I agree with that. Mark Anderson, as we wrap it up, Mark Davis's commitment to the a- um, the Aces has been incredible, especially the Title IX anniversary, the big banquet he just had over at Allegiant Stadium. Very passionate about this and this brand. I know you tweeted about their last win when the opponent took a two-point shot instead of a three when they needed a three, but that's another win for them as they keep rolling. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you just catch a break, right? right. <laughs> you know? sure. even, even the really good teams need breaks along the way. And, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, you think that's a team they probably should have blown out, but there's they, they don't match up well with Minnesota. Mm-hmm. There's, the Minnesota size bothers them, and uh, so that, you know, that's just one of those weird matchups. Um, obviously, off to off a great start at 13-2, my big question with them is their, their bench. They really have no bench, and mm-hmm. I don't know – how long you can sustain this, you know, in, in two, three months to get in the playoffs, are they, are they, is that starting five going to be worn down? And I think they have to find a way. Becky Hammonds has to find a way to start getting more minutes for bench players, even mm-hmm. if they don't produce a lot, just to take the, take the pressure off or get the start of some rest. And they'll get Raquana Williams back at some point. She'll help a little bit, but, you know, I, I just think at some point you have to say, you know what, even if it means sacrificing a couple games, for the for the big picture, I think you just got to you got to give your starters a break. Thank you, Mark. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All the best. Uh, you too, JT. Thank you so much. You got it, Mark Anderson from the Review Journal. The A's topic is really important to me because I watched I watched what the A's did to the Raiders up there, and the Raiders weren't perfect. Everybody know all Raider fans are upset they left Oakland, but the A's signed the ten year lease, and unfortunately, a lot of people in this town have no idea the history of the A's and Raiders. None. None. So they have, if you're on the radio, if you're on a different channel and you're listening to people and they're debating this topic, they don't know nothing. They have no idea. I've talked about this at length with the former president, Mark Bedane, with Mark Davis over the years, everybody else. And there are clueless people in the media here who have no idea the history between the A's and the secretive tenure lease behind the Raiders. The Raiders come to Southern Nevada, super successful. The franchise has gone up, what, a half a billion dollars, and now the A's want to come here with their tail between their leg? Really? In a much bigger market, the East Bay, that doesn't have the Warriors, doesn't have the Raiders anymore, they have the whole market to themselves, and that's not good enough for them? The owner is cheap. The president of the team is a carnival barker. They're a fraud. I like the A's fans. You're Raider fans. You're the same fans. You know me. I... I will, I will not support the A's coming to Vegas, but I'll sit my ass in the front row for the Yankees when they come here in the Yankee jersey, and if it happens, and look, I'm pro-business. The stadium would bring, and a major league team would bring more business to Vegas, which would provide jobs and all of that, but I don't think the A's deserve to be here. They've played their hand, and they failed miserably. And everybody who's lining up because they want a credential to sit in the third deck of the press box and cover the team, give me a break. Understand the topic before you beg for a credential.